You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. The following is a close to the heart presentation in association with the PFC Podcast Network and has been rated L for mature audiences only. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of a family under 18 years of age. I'm Jason Klaus, and over the course of my life, I have done a lot of different things, worn a lot of different hats. But this may be my greatest endeavor yet. Welcome to my show, and on here we will discuss a variety of different topics from sports to entertainment to pop culture, but above all else, we will discuss how we can make a positive difference for ourselves and for those in and around our lives. I may go on rants, I may go on sidebars, but it all comes from the heart. Welcome to the Klaus to the Heart podcast, the flagship show of the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Klaus to the Heart show on YouTube.com or the Klaus to the Heart podcast, our flagship show over on the PFC Podcast Network. I'm Jason Klaus. And uh, this, we are starting the year off, like I said, like if you've been following any of the content that we've been putting out in the last couple of weeks, you know that we are embarking on a pretty aggressive uh, plan of attack here as we come into a new year. And getting reestablished on the YouTube channel was certainly on that list of priorities. And I can't think of a better way to, to start things off here this year. Uh, kind of a new season, as as it were. Uh, longtime close personal friend, friend of the show, uh, is going to join me. And man, this this guy, <laughs> you want to talk about having um, a life story that you could literally make a movie out of. This guy has it, and I'm going to bring him on here shortly. Well, I, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see him. You just can't hear him quite yet. Uh, I'm kind of laying laying the groundwork because what what you're looking at, you know, this is like I said, kind of a new season, uh, new beginnings, new chapters, personally and professionally, and this is the actual first uh, simulcast slash broadcast for YouTube in what is in the process of becoming the Jeff Klaus Memorial Studio for the PFC podcast and entertainment network uh todd, todd kilbert uh is joining me here on this very special edition now you know todd's name because he and i have collaborated on a number <laughs> of different projects a number of different events um it started out in the absolute crazy and unpredictable world of professional wrestling he came to work uh, for the Michigan Wrestling Organization, but from there it spawned um, just 
a level of respect, a friendship that uh, I thoroughly enjoy to this day. You know, several years in the making here, and God damn, man, I can't believe I put up with you that long. Todd, it's good to see you. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's Happy been a minute. To you. you too, man. Yeah, it's, man, it was what, 2015, right? Something like 2015, that, yeah. yeah, 2015 Bunkhouse. So, yeah, six years, Randall. seven years. Wow. Time, they say time, I can do math. I can do math. Look at me. Anyway. They, they <laughs> say time flies when you're having fun. I'm not sure what, what I would categorize this as, but be that as it may. <laughs> uh, Todd has also joined me on the Klaus to the Heart live events that I've done. He has been very gracious in um, lending his musical abilities. You know, it's Todd is one of those guys that, like he and I are a lot in are a lot of a lot alike in a lot of ways, you know, in terms of our views and our passions on I don't want to say hobbies because what we have here individually um, is not really what I would call a hobby of sorts. Um Got a little hung up there. See, you know, me and technology, you know what I mean? Anyway, um, Todd is one of those guys that has always su supported my my crazy ideas. And, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm going to step on stage to do a live motivational show. I would like you to be my opening act. Without hesitation, Todd jumped right in on it. And, uh, you know, you and I, Todd, like we were a lot alike in the aspect of, you know, we have these passions that aren't just like, these are things that we want to do primarily, yeah. you know, for that's how we make our living because they say yeah. that a, a person who really enjoys what they do never works a day in their life. Like, that's what I want to get to. And I know you do, too. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, kind of easing into things here, like, how important for you is it to, as you are embarking on something like this, you're, you know, this is the dream. This is the goal. This is something that means something to, to you. You put a lot of time, a lot of effort into preparation, into trial and error this didn't work that didn't work this did so let's expand but how important is it as as you are about to do like a public launch or or something that puts fundamentally a part of your your soul on public display how important is having support first from your friends family and then expanding to 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 create like your own fan base. Like, how important is that? I mean, you know, it's it's very important in many ways, as I'm sure you'll you'll follow with me. Is you know, the the family and friends thing, and I don't mean this in a cocky way. That's the easy part, because when you surround yourself with really supportive people, when you embark on something new, 
nine times out of 10, you're going to get at least 70% of those people coming along with you, which, I mean, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but I've, I've been very blessed to have that in, in my family and friend circle. I mean, you're definitely one of those. Every time I've had a wacky idea, you're like, cool. You know, <laughs> I mean, you supported my wacky idea of a last standing man standing match with the two of us. I mean, how much wackier can that get? Yeah, we'll get to that here in a little bit. <laughs> but oh, I hope so. But um, yeah, with everything I do and a lot of it, you know, music was, well, I, can't, I won't say was. Music is the way I put myself out there the most for god 40 years of my life almost well i mean i wasn't playing when i was one so let's say 30 years of my life um and when you release something whether it be music or whatever it is that you're passionate about and you've poured your own your own self into it because that's what you do when it's things you're passionate about you're not just doing it just for the heck of it it really means something to you and you hope that the thing that means the world to you might mean something to at least another person, right? You know, and like I'm, I'm always very thrilled when I find that family and friends love the things that I do. But for me, even just that one person that I don't know, that I've never met, that I wouldn't know if I saw him, you know, on, on the street, says, "Hey, this one thing you did spoke to me." That that's everything. You know what I mean? Because Absolutely. it makes you feel like, man, I. I guess I'm doing something right. You know what I mean? Vindication, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's all the hours and months and weeks and days and years that I poured into this thing. Like, it means something to somebody else. That's not me. Right. And that's that's very cool, but also super nerve-wracking. When you, right, right before you hit that send button or that, publish button or whatever there's that there's that few minutes of that little voice picking on you in the back of your head going you sure you want to do this you sure you want to hit that button everybody's gonna see you know and you're you're but once you get over the hump of that then it's yeah it's it's hard to put into words i'm finding but it's it is very important absolutely because you don't want to release something out into the world and then just get crickets. You know what I mean? So, kind of laying the groundwork for why this episode is happening. Uh, you know, aside from being personal, you know, like real life friends, like we're Facebook friends, right? And you had posted something on a pretty lengthy, very emotional um uh, almost like a testimonial of sorts, you know, you really put yeah. your heart in into this one, one particular post and mm -hmm. like it, it, it conjured up a lot of feelings in me. Like I, I was sad for you. I, I was disappointed in um, the lack of support that you were seeing. And I was pissed off because of, no, nah, I'm just going to be straight up. And no, I no, this. I told you no, this when yeah. when when we talked on the phone because mm -hmm. I sent you a message as soon as I yeah. read that you need to call me. Yeah. And like I don't do that shit very often anymore. I just don't. But so, like I could feel 
what you were feeling based on what you wrote. And mm -hmm. as somebody that's kind of tuned in, dialed in, I guess I should say, into the mindset that you put yourself in to put yourself out there. Because I do yeah. very much the same thing where it's just, you know, where it's both audio, but yeah. two different realms. Like I but, he's, but it's either side, it's it's an art form, no matter no matter which way you slice it. Right. So yeah. like and even before I started doing this, there was oh, there was just that twenty-eight years of my life that I spent running the Michigan wrestling organization. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. like I wholeheartedly could understand where you were coming from but i am also somebody that is like look you cannot and i believe i've taught i told you this during the, the course of our conversation um you cannot allow these ultimately minor setbacks and disappointments to derail what you want to do now uh, during the course of that conversation, you explained to me your actual full mindset. And it wasn't sure. that you were, you know, you were discouraged. And, and because of the level of, of disappointment and discouragement that you're just going to abandon this dream. And I'm, I'm referring to your, your musical part here. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to focus on art because yeah. you're starting to see more of for the lack of a better term, you're starting to see more return on your investment, the investment sure. of your time, your passion, all of sure. it. Like you are mm -hmm. getting more of a reaction from your art, you know, projects and pictures that you that you draw and sell and things of this nature than you did your music. And I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. Then you sent me this message that said you wanted to talk about your story. And what all went into that? Because I do know that there is a contingent of people who did follow, you know, your albums and your, you know, what you were doing musically. And mm -hmm. like, they were just as surprised as I was when I, when I had initially read, well, he's not doing music anymore. And I feel like this is why. So mm. kind of take kind of take me through the process because I mean I can understand um, taking something that you're so passionate about and putting it on on the shelf or in my case I just pulled the plug you know what I mean yeah um, yeah so I I understand the the mentality that goes into something like that if you're that passionate about it but for those who may not have that kind of passion project we'll call it take us through the mindset man like what is it what was it that 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 finally made you say okay i'm going to focus on this instead of this so yeah like, like you had talked about there have been many people that were for lack of better terms confused about the whole thing and you know i sat and thought about it a lot and you know, you, you've asked me if I, you know, would be interested in doing a show, an episode again in the future, things like that. And I thought this, you know, would be the perfect platform on your show specifically to really dive into it. Because unlike a lot of other avenues, I guess I could have gone, um, this is the most open forum. And it's two people who really understand each other 
you know what I mean? So, so it feels, it felt safer for me in this environment to really dive in without really giving a shit either way of what people think about it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, <laughs> you, you've had a no bullshit policy for years. Um, <laughs> But I mean, a lot of it. Here's the thing, Todd. I I just meant, I just adopted this mentality where I just don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. I'm all about the silver lining in life and stuff like that. I just have my tolerance for ignorance and and BS is sure. I I just don't have it anymore. And it so, man, oh, it yeah. took me open forum, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, fuck it. Here we go. It took me. Uh... I mean, it took me, God, I would say about 35 years of my life to get to this point where I'm not afraid to just say what I, what is, what's up. You know what I mean? And it took a long time. And honestly, the, the final piece of that puzzle, which we'll get into, as you said later, was the whole MWO thing. And the people I met in, in our joint adventures together that really helped like get me over the cliff of that hang up. But <clears throat> back to your question. So I've been doing music for my God, over 20 years. Um started in middle school. My dad uh plays guitar, my mom plays piano, uh my whole musical family and you know, friends that are music musicians, all that thing. So I've been doing that for over 20 years and just in, engulfed in that world. And for the most part, it was really fun. It was really cool. It was, I had a great run, as, as we say in the, in the wrestling world. Right. Um, but there had gotten times where I just, at first I got burnt out probably around 2014 was the first time that I really felt it was time for something different. And a couple years before that, I had gotten into DDP yoga and started learning uh, from Dallas and, and things like that. And that opened my mind into a whole new world of thinking and approaching life. <clears throat> and the music thing, you know, just wasn't serving me at, at that point. Like, it was, you know, I was doing what I was doing because it's what I do, but it wasn't something I was actively, like, salivating and chasing after anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So I kind of put it to rest for a couple of years and decided to get some tights and some boots and uh, let guys in tights and boots beat me up. And... Uh, <laughs> um. But it was such a cool change of pace from what I was used to. It was such a different world. But it was really interesting about a year or so in, seeing the parallels that existed between professional wrestling and, like, the music industry and the music scene and stuff like that. Not not, not that they're the same thing, but the way they're ran and the, the, the pageantry and the art behind everything. There's a lot of similarities in, in the two things. <clears throat> so I was really having fun doing that. And I was having a blast, you know, learning from people like you 
I'm going to drop a few names here. People like uh, Levi Blue, Michael Reaver, uh, your brother Jeff, who became a dear friend, uh, you know, from Bill Sackman, and like getting to work with some really great people. And it really kind of helped restore my confidence in myself. Because if you're not afraid, if you're, if you're built physically like I am, but you're, but these guys, even the, 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 the confidence to walk out of there, out there and basically a long speedo, um, that, you know, confidence is not really an issue anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget getting that blue singlet and getting in the ring. And the first thing your brother said to me, I think he called me a blueberry. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> I love that, man. But, uh, oh, man. But aside, all joking aside, it boosted my confidence in ways that I wasn't prepared for. And then I felt the need to start writing again musically and start really exploring that stuff again, you know. <clears throat> and a lot of the a lot of this is connected to um a couple close friends that are no longer with us. One is my friend Ashley Peacock, who I've known since high school. He was my musical cohort, so to speak. We were the Batman and Robin with each other, you know, like whatever one guy was doing, the other guy was there as his cheerleader. Sometimes we made stuff together. We had a band together that sort of got signed to a record contract until the record company screwed it over. Screwed us over. We, I mean, we went through, literally, we went through hell together. Like, up and down, thin or thin, we went through, the thick or thin, sorry, I can talk. We went through a lot of stuff together. And um, he was very instrumental in my return to music while I was in pro wrestling. So that whole thing was going. And then we, I started working on a project with some friends called The Undesirables. And it was just a really fun studio project. We didn't have any, like, uh, aspirations of, like, touring or, you know, being a band band. You know what I mean? It was just, it was a studio project. We'll see what, what the heck could happen with it. And it turned out really great. And right at about the time... We were in the studio mixing the record. We were in Fenton, Michigan, Real to Real Studios. Marshall Block was mixing the record with us. And one day out of the blue, my cell phone just starts going off. Just out of nowhere. And it's these people that don't normally call me. And you know, it is like when it's, and it's not that, that these people don't talk to you. It's just weird that they call instead of text. You know what I mean? Right. So the phone's blowing up and I'm like, why? Really? And it was somebody that like, I chat with, but we don't talk on the phone, like, ever. I'm like, this is weird. And it went off of two or three times. And I'm like, well, I'm down here in the studio. I'll just take care of it when we're done here, and I'll call back, whatever. And then another phone call came, and it was um, a dear friend, Johnny Mason, who was the bass player in Building Birds with Ash and myself and Taylor. And, and then he sent a text that said, you need to call me right now. And I'm like, well, this is odd, you know, like, Something's up. Like, I wasn't sure exactly what it could possibly even have been. So <clears throat> it was myself, my friend Mark Taylor, and Marshall that were in the studio. I'm like, guys, I'll be right back. And, you know, I made my way up the stairs, went outside, and picked up the phone, and 
it was Johnny telling me that Ash uh, died that the evening before. He had uh, got a gun and shot himself. Um, nothing prepares you for that. Ever. Did you have any any inclination that he was dealing with anything on the level that would have even brought that kind of thought to his mind? Yeah, um, probably during the Building Birds era. This would have been 2013 or 14. I could be wrong. It could be a little later. I'm I'm fuzzy on those, but he had tried with medication once before um you know we we found we we found we we found out about it caught him in time he got therapy and everything seemed to be doing better you know what i mean um and at that point no there was really no other than the previous attempt there was no inclination that he was on a downward spiral again it was really random um so, yeah, nothing prepares you for phone calls like that. You know, it's the only thing I could make maybe bigger than that is like, like I'm sure you know, the loss of a parent or, you know, a direct family, you know, is a little heavier, but it just, it gutted me in the, in the driveway of that studio. And I had to walk downstairs and tell the other guys that were sitting there having fun mixing this record um, what had happened. And, you know, we all kind of sat there for a good 10, 15 minutes and nobody said a word. You know, it was just that that weight in the room. Um, and we just kind of, after the silence broke, we kind of just talked a little bit about what happened and kind of ended ended the session that day. You know, when nobody was in the mood to, nobody wanted to work. Nobody wanted to do anything. You know what I mean? <clears throat> um, I'm thankful that he did get to hear the record before it was finished, which is cool. And I got to hear what he thought of it, which was, which was really nice. Um, but what came with his passing also kind of took away a piece of me musically um us being so joined together in that common that common passion that common goal i used to skip college courses sorry mom and dad i used to skip college classes to go to the recording studio with ashley in fenton that same very studio was the first place i ever recorded anything and so I would skip school, ride with Ash to the recording studio. You know, he was supporting my, my delinquencies. But um, so that was a huge blow. And it was really hard for me to find the encouragement, I guess, to keep creating music. Like, the album, we finished the album. We did one big show at the machine shop in Flint to kind of culminate the release of the record. And that was, you know, it was fun. It was cool for what it was. You know, we had a good time. Um, 
but then it, you know after the after the smoke cleared and i'm home in my apartment in an empty apartment just sitting there i'm like now what now what do we do you know there's this thing that you know i've been doing for so long but i kind of don't want to now and i don't even quite understand why i don't want to i just had this feeling of man i just it doesn't feel right without him to keep going forward you know and i know you can understand that which i'm sure we'll get to um in a minute here but uh I kind of kept pushing forward anyway, because, you know, you're brought up to think that, you know, you have to just keep pushing at it. You know, you got to just keep working. You got to keep your nose to the grindstone, keep your head down, you know, just keep going and, you know, you'll get there, you know. Um, but that never came. I, I, I went and made a record a little while after that with a bunch of people that I actually knew. We finished his final album, which he had started when he died, and put that out, and it was beautiful. And my voice was nowhere on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was. It was the first time I got to sit in the producer chair and just like help realize somebody else's vision, you know. And that was that was awesome to do and really cathartic for all of us. But then I went through to do the new album that would come after that, uh, which eventually became Out of the Shadows. Um, and it was a very going through the motions record. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm proud of, a, of that album and a lot of the songs on it. I think the record turned out wonderfully, but I wasn't in it the whole way. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yep. Um, and after that, um, I did another album. <laughs> that was co-wrote that was done by a friend of mine named Jim, Jim Forniatis. And then I did a Christmas album, which man, that was an experience. <laughs> but, uh, and again, got to get a lot of friends, you know, and I just realized that me making album after album like that and really just cranking them out. It's almost me trying to avoid dealing with my own issues is I'm just losing myself in what I know how to do. Yeah. And I'm not paying attention to what's going on inside as much as, well, I know that music is what I do. I know I can get my stuff out with music. So I'm just going to keep doing this because it's, it's, it's what I know. Um, I had left professional wrestling again during this time um, when the pandemic hit and all that kind of thing. So the, the pandemic was a weird time, man, for, for that kind of stuff, because you're, you're stuck in, in a house without anything to do outside of it. There's no going out and playing shows. There's no having wrestling matches. There's no, you know, it's just you at your house. And you're just, you're just stuck there with your brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the person, but um, it really made me do a lot of soul searching. And, you know, I started to think, well, maybe it's just a slump. Maybe, you know, I'll find the, the need to get back and do more music. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe I'm being too hard on myself. Um, and then the MWO started back up, which was fun. And, uh, 
you know, I had, I started having this feeling of maybe I didn't need to continue music. Maybe I didn't need to continue wrestling, but maybe they needed closure points. Maybe the thing was that it was time for something new, but the things that I was doing before didn't feel like they got a proper ending. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so all that's going through my head. And then um, another fun phone call came. And by fun, I mean utter dumpster fire horseshit. Um, where I'm sitting at home and I get a text message from Michael Reaver. And all it said was, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I, I feel okay. What? That's a weird ass question. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I took a good dump this morning. I guess I'm fine. Like, what you, what you, what you, why are you asking me if I'm okay? Um, <laughs> so I just messaged back. I'm like, yeah, that's a weird question. And he goes, you haven't heard? I'm like, heard about what? And he's like, well, you need to call me. And I flashed right back. Those exact words, I flashed right back to the Ashley situation. And the first thing in my head, I went, oh, shit. Now who? Now what? You need to call me? The last time I heard that meant that somebody I loved is dead. And so immediately I went into panic. And I called him. And sure as shit, I was told that your brother and my one of my best friends had a heart attack and was gone. And uh, sorry, not, ugh, but um, that was like the Tombstone pile driver after the show closed. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Ashley was the for all you wrestling enthusiasts. Ashley dying was the Undertaker choke slamming me, and then Jeff dying was him picking me back up and tombstoning me through the fucking mat. And I just fell apart and I didn't know how to take it, how to cope, what to do, where to go. I just, it was awful, you know, to, and, and the other messed up part is it was literally a year within each other, almost to the month which is so messed up. <laughs> like, you know, almost a year later and it, right, and it happened again, you know? Um, so that made me really pause and, you know, reflect on, you know, what the, the hell am I doing? You know, life is short, never long enough. For some people, it isn't as long as it should have been. Why am I dicking around, holding back, trying things or pursuing things or making decisions when I could be gone tomorrow? Because obviously, everybody else that, you know, people are dropping like flies around me, like, like, am I next? You know what I mean? So you pile all that together and... 
it really made me realize that the things that I was passionate about, I need to stop lying to myself and saying that I must do this because it's just what people know that I do. And instead, I need to do what makes me happy. I need to do what brings me joy and makes me feel creatively fulfilled because the two people that aren't here anymore, that's the first damn thing they would have told me. That's the first thing Ashley or Jeff would have said to me. Would have said, do what makes you happy. Not what everybody else wants you to do. Not what people expect you to do. Do what you feel you need to do. Let me uh, stop you right there because <clears throat> that, that part of the process can be splintered into a number of different ways here. Sure. And I'm curious individually why this is a thing for people, especially if you embark on any kind of, any kind of mm -hmm. public or entertainment endeavor. Yeah. Why, explain to me, if you can, why you were so hung up on what everybody else thought of what you were doing and how that um, was a contributor to your approach to it. I think because so much of my identity was wrapped up in it for most of my life, you know, I was Todd the music guy. You know, even when I got into professional wrestling, I made a bunch of entrance teams for everybody because, well, I always wanted to, first of all, because what wrestling fan that's a musician doesn't want to be Jim Johnson, at least for a day. Sure. And, um, and I keep going back to just, it was what I did. It's what I knew. You know what I mean? I, I practiced and learned and took lessons and invested, you know, time and thousands of dollars into being a musician and that was my sole thing that I did and then I did wrestling and left music aside and then wrestling became the sole thing that I did um because I was I think I was trying to break away from that that's what that's what you do that's what people expect of me thing but I was never brave enough to do it completely because obviously I went right back to music after a while and and I love music don't get me wrong I mean for people that aren't watching on YouTube I'm sitting in front of a shit ton of records with a guitar over here. Obviously, music is a humongous part of my life. <clears throat> but it was either that or you were you had aspirations to, to be Batman because I could see Batman in your background sure. too. But I mean, I don't want to be Batman for five seconds, but <laughs> <laughs> until you realize what Batman's life is like, you're like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, but getting back to your question, uh. I think it's just because after a while, you kind of go on autopilot. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, yeah. And, totally get what you mean. And you're afraid to, you know, make that jump that you're not sure if you're going to land or not. Because what a lot of people don't know is I was an artist before I was a musician. I got in trouble from first grade all the way to high school all the time for drawing in class and not paying attention all the time. I mean, I took art classes. I went to college for it. Um, but music was the safer, more comfortable choice. So that's what I went for, you know? 
and had a blast doing it. But yeah, I think it's just, I was too afraid to commit to the jump. You know what I mean? Because all musicians, all artists in, in any way, struggle with insecurities. You know, none of us think we're, none of us are like Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. I just think we're all just the raging shits. You know, we're, you know, you, 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 you get into these things because you want people to see what you do. You want people to love what you do. You want them to accept you. And this is your way to get that acceptance is by putting yourself out there and contributing something that you can do that maybe not everybody else can. All musicians, no matter whether they admit it or not, they want the applause. They want people to watch them. They want they want to be seen as a musician. Anybody that says I just do it because for the hell of it, they're lying. To you. Okay, that's that's gonna bring me to my question right here. Yeah. You 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 notice as soon as you said that I started because I wasn't sure how far. <laughs> Down the rabbit hole you were going to go, I'm pulling you back up by the ears a little bit for a second. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Musically speaking, take mm -hmm. MWL out, take professional wrestling out. Sure. Okay. Because that that came very much later on in life. Music, hit, right. music is a deep-rooted thing with you. Deep, yeah. deep into your soul. And yeah. like you said, uh, part of your identity. I can relate to that on the wrestling front because I knew from age eight that I was going to be involved in the wrestling business in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form. By the time yeah. I was double digits, uh, the fact that professional wrestling was already attached to who and what I was by like yeah. my friends and my parents' friends, like that's the wrestling kid. Like I, I, I get it. So my question to you, as a from a musician standpoint mm -hmm. do you do this because you want to be accepted or do you do this because you want to be heard yes <laughs> i knew yes you were going to say that <laughs> um, but but, what, but but todd one thing overrides the the other yeah. i don't yeah. give a fuck what who it is what you're doing one right. will always be just a notch above the, the other. What's yours? Right. Gun, gun to my head, make a choice. It's to be heard. Okay. It's to be heard. It's to, it's to be, it's being that person that through my adolescence, I always felt like the, the kid with the disability that people don't really want to pay that much attention to. Um, and I'm not saying that's true. Um, I'm not saying I even wholeheartedly believe that today. But you always kind of inner struggle with that with every person you meet, no matter what, no matter who it is. It could be your best friend in the world. And once in a while, you still think, what do they really think of me? You know what I mean? Because you're afraid to let that guard down because you built up so many walls around that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, being, but be, as you get older, being heard is the most important thing because 
for me, it's what I am inside and my beliefs and how I feel about things. And to get people to hear that and relate to that and understand where I'm coming from. You know what I mean? It, to, to hell with, oh, that's a good song he made. Fuck that. Like, to me, it's here's somebody that had something to say. Here's somebody that I related to. You know, it's that connection. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Now, the one thing about you is when, when you look at your, your public persona, in, in some regards, like what you put out to the public for yeah. whether it be musically or your time as a performer in a professional wrestling promotion, now you're switching over to art and that's become a big thing with you. Like now yeah. your, your, your website um, went from the links to your albums and things of this nature. Now, um, now you are doing like these conventions and you you're tackling a whole a whole different aspect of public presentation and it's something that you're still very passionate about the the correlation between music and art is literally you know what what people are are seeing or absorbing from you on a perfect or on a public realm is just yeah. as intimate to your to your soul as 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 any two things can be and literally from your old your own fingers so what is it about the art aspect now that is filling those sales that music hadn't been doing for you is it that acceptance is it being when in this case seen is it to find a new endeavor here to, to, to make a living? Like, what's the motivation? So when I left music, not permanently, I, when I, let me rephrase, when I stopped making solo records, where I, you know, made my records myself and put them out under my name, you know, and we can talk about why I stopped that in a minute if you want to. Um, when, you know, I stopped doing that, it's doing the art thing. I think the big thing of it, I stopped doing the music thing also. And I don't mean this as a pity party, but I'm not getting any younger. You know, I'm 41. Um, I have steel rods in my back. <laughs> I have uh, COPD now, which is another fun bonus feature. And yeah, please don't take this as a, as a pity party. I'm not, that's not why I'm saying this. Um, but the physical aspect of music has gotten harder for me. Um, you know, I can't stand up on a stage anymore and do a two-hour show of, of anything. It's just, it's just not possible anymore. But the beautiful thing about the art world is it's ageless. You know, at 18 or 75, you can draw a picture. You know, it may not be as good at 75. Who knows? But, like... Depends on how your arthritis gets at that age, but but the beautiful thing about it is it's almost like it's very similar to the music side, but it has this polar opposite in that it's quiet 
and peaceful. And, you know, when I'm back here, I'm in my, you know, studio right now, when I work on stuff, there's still, you know, there's still music going. And like, when I work on a picture, for example, I have an album or a playlist going of the mood that reflects the thing I'm working on. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, for example, I did this picture, I did this, uh, this piece recently of Sting, the, the pro wrestler Sting, that had a bunch of his different personas, you know, in the picture. And I made a playlist of all of his entrance themes and a bunch of Metallica, because Sting came out to Metallica a lot, and wove that together and was playing on a loop as I'm working on this thing. You know what I mean? So the yeah. music is still very much there um, in a fan aspect. But I just found the art being a lot more therapeutic and a lot more universally uh, able to communicate with people a little more universally. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's allowed me to meet a world of new people that, I've, that I don't know if I ever would have otherwise. Um, but I, I guess the short answer would be physically the art for me is easier on my body and my mind and my spirit because the last three albums I put out, um, aside from five, six people, nobody gave a shit. And, you know, I know you're supposed to make music because you love to do it, but if you're not reaching an audience, what the hell are you doing? You know what yeah. I mean? And it's it's hard not to get in that headspace of, am I no good? Do people not like me? Does is my stuff suck and no one wants to tell me? Like, I'm not saying that's the case, but like, it, it, it rattles around in your brain, you know? Um, so a lot of that had a lot to do with it too, of why am I putting out these solo albums and putting my my whole heart and soul and everything into these things that I just think is awesome and that I would buy if it wasn't me. You know what I mean? And with the, with the exception of like you and four other people, it's like it never happened. You know what I mean? But I can go to every one of these conventions and people see my stuff and they react to it and they engage with me and we, we connect in some way. And it's a really amazing feeling to, you know, have somebody come up with their kid, for example, and their kid loses their mind over this, this picture you made. And they just, they need to have it. They need it. They want it because they love what you did. And that, that feeling is, it's, it's incredible. You know what I mean? And I got that with music before, but I hadn't got that with music in so long. And so my compromise, I guess, because I can't, I can't leave music completely. I just can't. I'm surrounded by, you know, there's like 450 records behind me. I, um, and the thing that kind of snapped me out of leaving it all together, once again, is another person passing away. Um, my uncle, my dad's brother, who I learned how to play guitar 
Smith. Um, when he passed away, I was left his guitar. Now, this guitar for me was the holy grail of musical instruments. There was no guitar in the world better than this guitar. I don't care if, you know, Jimi Hendrix, you know, rubbed his butt on it. It ain't, it ain't better than this guitar. Like, the, the, oh, no, bro, it's Jimi Hendrix, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. But, but it's the one sitting next to me here. And he left me this guitar. Um, and I didn't even learn about it until the funeral that I, it was even coming home with me. Oh, wow. And the last thing my yeah, the last thing my aunt said to me before we walked through the door, because you know the family goes to it earlier than everybody else, she said, "Now when this is over, make sure and take that guitar with you, because there's nobody in this world that he would want to have it besides you." Hmm. And to me, you know, I can't have this 1976 Les Paul Custom sitting here and not do something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, will it be me making solo records? No. I feel like I've, you know, I made one last album. Uh, it was called Finale on Purpose. Um, and that was the closure of that chapter of my life. Getting back to what we're talking about with, you know, things having an ending. Um, but since then, I've been in the studio with friends recording on their albums. I've co-wrote with other people. I'm helping other musicians like make things that they're passionate about. It's not about me anymore in the musical era, era. You know what I mean? Now the music can be the passion fun on the side thing that I help other people with because I'm not so worried about my own me personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now the art can be the thing that I pour myself into and be my creative outlet for me personally. All right. Well, let's talk about another aspect of closure since we're, we're framing it like that. Like you just kind of laid out the closure of the solo album efforts and like you purposely yeah. and methodically, I would imagine. Very um, much so, yeah named that album finale you know like you said for mm. a reason like you mm -hmm. had it in your head like this is it so yeah. the other closure the, the other sense of closure which you know uh on in one aspect you didn't have any control over um and that was your time with the michigan wrestling organization now um i ultimately made that decision for myself or everybody that worked for the company like it was yeah it, it was time it was done um i just couldn't do it anymore you know and yeah. uh, for a lot of the same reasons that you were talking about you know that lack of you know enthusiasm lack of passion like there is yeah. something seriously missing here i've made no bones about the fact you know what led to the the closing of the organization i gave myself three live events and uh yeah. to see if if i could pull myself out of the funk could the allure of the spotlight of performing in a, in a ring or writing the show or anything like that can that yeah. pick me up just enough to get out of this 
mental funk that I'm yeah. in with, you know, with Jeff not being here. Because Jeff was, you know, as big of a star as he was in the ring, he was just as, he was a bigger, you know, co- contributor backstage. Like, he was my right-hand man, you Absolutely. know. And the, the day like, I met, the, I'll never forget the day I met you going backstage at the bunkhouse brawl to talk to you and standing next to you like your security guard was Jeff. Didn't say a damn word the whole time other than hi. Stood there just watching and listening. Yeah. And I was intimidated. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> like, because until it, 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 for those of you who never got the pleasure, if Jeff doesn't know you, he can he can be an intimidating presence. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not until he lets you in that you see the goofball, the 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 teddy bear that was Jeff. You know what I mean? But at that time, <laughs> I'm like, I better be cool. This guy's gonna punch me or something. Shit. <laughs> you know, the, the thing of it is with him is he. He stood on the sidelines for a long time and watched me get fucked over time mm-hmm. and time again. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's this is when he was merely talent because he wanted no yeah. part of, of the management side of it. He didn't yeah. get on the management side of it until uh, probably, I mean, full blown, like probably 2002. Wow. And uh, it was then where, I mean, <laughs> He was like enough, enough's enough. Like yeah. there, there, there were aspects of the business that he absolutely loathed, and yeah. you know we tried not to bring that shit into MWO, and that's why he primarily stayed with MWO up until mm-hmm. Imperial Wrestling Entertainment opened its doors. Then he right. went up and and worked sure. for them for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but him not being around, like, I knew it was going to be huge, but, like, I didn't anticipate how big that was going to be and how much of a factor it was going to be. And, like, by show two, it was starting to become a dread, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I always said when it started to become a feeling of dread or anxiety or anything like that, we're done. Because yeah. I'm not gonna let that become the legacy of such a huge chapter of my life personally and professionally mm-hmm. now i say all that to say is you and i were in a program we were in in a feud at the show mm-hmm. and uh my last match and your last match happened not only on the same show it happened in the same match yeah. and um you know, we wound up doing this last man standing gimmick that, that mm-hmm. inspiring, motivating, sometimes a little funny, always emotional. That's what you can expect every month when you tune in to the Klaus and Q show. Hey everybody, I'm Jason Klaus. Join me and Quad L. Edwards as we go on the air once a month on Orion Neighborhood Television to tackle a variety of topics, but the bottom line of it all is to get the most out of this wonderful gift that we have in life. How to achieve our greatest successes, how to be better people for ourselves and for those in and around our lives. 
So we encourage you to check us out. You can find us over on Facebook. Just look for the Klaus and Q Show or KlausToTheHeart.net. And you can find us beginning on January the 27th. We will also be on the air on February 24th, March the 31st, and April 21st. All shows will begin at 6 p.m. and they stream live over on Facebook.com forward slash Orion ONTV. It's the Klaus and Q Show exclusively on Orion Neighborhood Television. Welcome back to the show. Uh, having some technical uh, difficulties, as it were, but we're back on here. And hey, if nothing else, it gave us time to run a quick ad here on YouTube.com and Anchor.fm. <laughs> Todd Gilbert's joining me. I'm Jason Klaus. Uh, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. And uh, Todd, before everything started, started going a little haywire here, we started uh, talking about, you know, the closure of your wrestling career. And, well, yeah. I mean, at least with the MWO, because right. that was kind of more, well, and there was no kind of about it. That was out of your hands. That was something that I did. You know, I pulled the plug, as it were. Right. And, um, you know, so, but uh, the show, you know, my last match uh, ever and your last match in the organization, like, happened on ever. the same show, happened in the same match. Uh, we did a last man standing gimmick, and yeah. which made perfect sense. But that wasn't the show that was designed to be the last live event that we would do because we actually had Christmas Clash on the books yeah. uh, to take place at ONTV. But there was, you know, one of them damn COVID outbreaks among the roster, and I'm like, we just cannot, we cannot, you know, right. Um, so ultimately, it led to the decision. Like, we're, I'm I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I have taken a lot of criticism for that being my last match. Yeah. Because it was, because it was. I've heard. <laughs> in a losing effort to you, and so I wanted to say. For the record, like I, I had talked about this because it got brought up of all things in uh, one of them. The Q and A ones, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, over on, on the Klaus of the Heart podcast. And, like, I was stunned that I was asked that. And, yeah. like, they're like, how do you feel about your last match being against Todd Gilbert? You know, do you think it ruined your legacy or whatever? Fuck, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't ruin, ruin my life. And over me in my last match. And I went on here and said the same thing. I'm glad it was you. Hmm. Statement. I didn't have any plans on ending the company or that being our last match or whatever. But I look back on it 
and it's in the archives. You you can go to mm-hmm. uh, ONTV's uh, YouTube channel, look up Trick or Slam, and that match is on there. Yeah. Straight up. I'm kind of glad it did happen that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's yeah. uh, it was fine. I have no problem with that. Um, but I want you to know that because I and I wanted you to hear that, and I wanted you to to see me while I said that because that is yeah. my honest to god feeling about it. I don't need, and I look. I've had plenty of people try to talk me out of. Closing the company, retiring, come up, you know, go here, work with me here, work with me down here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just done. You know, my it's, situation it's, and your situation in terms of closure, like you still have uh, avenues to scratch that musical itch if you want to. Sure. I have, for all intents and purposes, <clears throat> closed the door on. Yeah. On, on the the professional wrestling aspect of my life. I have no desire. I have no plans. I, I mean, if, if, if somebody was to call me up and say, hey, we need a guest referee spot for the main, you know, main event for the type, you know, That's we need different. somebody, whatever. Yeah. I, I, all depending on who it was, Yeah, I might put more than two seconds of thought into it. Because any other inquiry that I've had, I have no interest. Yeah. Um, I've never worked for another promoter or another promotion. Like, if you wanted to see me, you had to come to MWO. Right. Um, but like I said, it, it all depends on who that is, who, who it would be, whether or not I would consider it or not. Now, having looking back on that night, and on that particular match, you, me, last man standing. I mean, we like like I said, it was part of an ongoing storyline. We had Alex Crow involved, and mm-hmm. you know there was all of the tools to set up for a long rivalry with this, but it didn't work out sure. that way. So when you when you look sure. back on on Trick or Slam, what is your personal feelings about it? So. I've never told anybody this. You included. Oh, um, exclusive. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how exclusive this is, but um, so when I breaking first breaking news, yeah. <laughs> so when I first came to you with the idea of a last man standing match, when I first you know reached out to you, the reason that happened is the night before I had a dream about it. Only difference was, well, there was, there was two differences. First of all, the venue was different because it's a dream. So of course it's going to be a venue with like thousands of people and you know sure. that kind of that kind of crap. The other difference was, I'm in Gorilla. For those of you that don't that don't follow professional wrestling, that's the spot you're waiting in before you go through the curtain. I'm in Gorilla. They're about to play my music. You're standing there. We kind of give each other the, you know, see out there, you know, don't Looking suck. forward to kicking your ass in a second. Yep, speech. yep, yep. exactly. Uh, lay it in good, you know, kind of thing. But uh, 
which we never had a problem with that. But um, the other difference was Jeff was standing there with us. And it was funny because it echoed the, the exact thing that you did when I debuted in the company. And that was at NTC Church. I'm waiting backstage. And you came up to me, you gave me a hug, and you said, this is your moment, enjoy this. I never forgot that. And it always was in my head, every show, only in this dream, that's exactly what Jeff did. And, you know, we went out to a WrestleMania-sized crowd and did ridiculous crap that neither of us can do in real life. And... <laughs> um, <clears throat> But I woke up from that feeling that tug of, okay, you're getting closure on this one side. Now it's time for closure here. The way I, the way I left MWO left a bad taste in my own mouth, let alone other people's. And I really felt, and I don't know how spiritual everybody is or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. But I really felt Jeff telling me, you need to do this. You need to go back and do this. And it was huge for me because when I started in the MWO, certain people didn't want me in the ring, like ever. Nobody, they, they didn't. And I'm not going to name people because that's wrong. But certain people didn't want me in the ring. And certain insurance companies didn't want me in the ring either. Um, but you and Jeff were determined to make sure that that wasn't the case. The two of you were determined to make sure that I was going to get to do it one way or another, damn it all. You know what I mean? And you guys took me under your wing in many ways. And made sure that I got to go into that ring on more times than I ever thought I would have and got to live out something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. So it made a world of sense that, all right, I'm going to come back. And in my head, I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be one match or 12. I don't know. And I wasn't thinking about future ones at all. I just like, if I'm going to come back for one more, it has to be with you. Because it was the only thing that made sense in my head. Because of that, because of the dream I had, because of the relationship with yourself and with Jeff that I had. And it just made the most sense in the universe. Because I knew even something as crazy as a last man standing match, I knew for those, what was it, 20 minutes that we went or something like that? that for those 20 minutes, I was in the safest spot in that building. And That's for sure. I took, uh, I, I took your safety into great consideration. I mean, you're supposed to anyway, regardless of who you work with. Yeah. When, when you step into the ring, you literally are responsible for the well-being of the people or the person that you're working with. And you pick them up, you're responsible yes. for putting them back down. Yes, yes. Um, even, you know, even something as simple as me hitting you with something or throwing a punch or whatever, 
I'm responsible to make sure that I don't hit you wrong or hurt you. You know what I mean? Like going to what you're saying, like we're very much responsible, not for making ourselves look good, but making each other look good. Selling is the biggest part in my opinion, in all professional wrestling. And it comes from me being a humongous Shawn Michaels fan, but like to me, selling is everything. If those two guys aren't selling their asses off for each other, it ain't, it don't work, you know? Um, the other deliberate thing that I needed for that match to make it right and to give it that piece of closure, the other piece of that puzzle was Randy. Yeah. Because, because Randy Schilling was the man that introduced me to Andy, to Andy wrestling. Randy Schilling back in early 2000s, he was the manager of Deja Vu back in the day. Um, I met him because, let's face it, who hasn't been there? <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, we kind of got to talking because I had a wrestling shirt on. I want to say it was like a DX shirt or something. And he's like, oh, you like wrestling? I'm like, yeah, I love wrestling. Blah, blah. He's like, well, I happen to be a referee. Really? That's cool. And he told me all about the uh, NWA Great Lakes, which he was the referee of at the time. Yeah. Uh, with Gene Austin and all these people. And, you know, I went and had a blast. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And used to go to all those shows. And. So it made sense for me since Randy was back in the MWO to not only have the person I started with uh, in MWO in the ring across from me, but also to have the guy that introduced me to all of it. So it was very deliberately laying the groundwork for if this is my last one, I want it to be special and I want it to mean something on levels that not just the audience would understand, but everybody in the ring gets. But we get it on a different level and on things that nobody would have seen had they not listened to this episode. You know what I mean? And so it was, it was a beautiful thing to have. And for you to, to say that, you know, you were happy to, as they say, do the favors like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that either of us are these people. But I acquaint it to somebody like, let's say, Steve Austin having no problem letting Austin Theory beat him. You know what I mean? Austin Theory is this young punk that nobody really gives that much of a shit about at the moment. And here comes this guy that's been with the company for decades, and he's got no problem putting that kid over. You know what I mean? So to me, you know, that means a lot. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of people in that locker room that would not have had those same feelings. Right. We lost people in the company because they didn't have those same feelings. <laughs> we won't say his name, but I remember a certain guy getting shit canned because he kept refusing to come to a show because he had to put me over. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. We don't need to name him. But, like... So for me, you know, it was really weird, but really awesome at the same time. Because it felt really strange. It was my first show back. So you guys had done the WrestleRama thing before then. Um, but this was my first time being back in the MWO locker room since Jeff had passed away. And it didn't feel like the same place in many ways. It, it did in the sense of, you know, it looks like the MWO. A lot of the same people are here. Um, 
the environment was the same, but there was just that giant, huge piece missing that gave so much personality to everything. You know what I mean? There, because Jeff was the person that I sat there with anytime I had a match, it was me and Jeff sitting there and Jeff giving me ideas and me bouncing things off of Jeff and me being like, Hey Jeff, I'm going to do this stupid thing. You think I should do it? And he'd be like, do it even stupider than that. Do this, you know? And <laughs> it was, I mean, I had a year long, what was it, a year long feud we had with you guys. Like he was the biggest piece of my wrestling career. He really was. The two of you and, and Mike were the biggest pieces of my time in pro wrestling and Bill, sorry, almost forgot Bill, but it's, that's my Mount Rushmore of my wrestling experience is those four people. You know what I mean? So not having one of them there, it made it really hard to do in some aspects, but I'm really glad we did. And, you know, I, I tried going to another company after MWO closed. I, I was there for what, two shows. And I was like, you know what, this, this isn't working for me. It doesn't feel right. Um, again, like the music thing, I'm just going through the motions. I'm here because it's what I did. And in my head, I'm like, the thing with Jason needs to be it. I, I don't need to pull a Ric Flair and come out of retirement 17 times to the point where it's embarrassing. And, you know, I was perfectly happy letting that match be the last match I ever did in professional wrestling. Because I think you and I went out there and, yeah, it wasn't a wrestling clinic by any stretch of the imagination, but we told a story. You know, and I had fans come up to me after the show and told me that they thought our match was one of the best ones on the card. And that blew my fucking mind. Because no one's ever said that to me. Because I know I'm not, you know, a physical specimen of any sorts, you know? Like, I can't do a whole lot of crap in the ring. But the story we told reached people in, in a way that I didn't expect it would have. You know what I mean? So for me, if, that, if, that, if it means that's my last match, what a hell of a way to go out. You know what I mean? You're welcome. So anyway. <laughs> um... <laughs> and again, yeah, you know, that was you embracing one of my wacky freaking ideas. Because when I said that thing, I'm like, he is going to look at this and be like, the hell is wrong with this kid? I did. <laughs> I could I could see your face, even though you I wasn't there. I can see the look of confusion on your face, reading the text going, wait, what? I feel like <laughs> I feel like I was with Jim Burgett. That sounds that sounds like I could something I could see happening. <laughs> when you pitch, I'm like, look at this shit that this dude wants to do here. Uh, but you know, then I went back and looked at it again and started, you know, actually putting thought behind it. And I'm like, yeah, this could be something. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't know too. Like when I joined MWO, and we had we had we used to always have breakfast at this diner, um, by the city market, 
before mm. every show. And the day that you decided to bring me into the company as a performer, we're all there having breakfast. And it's you sit at the end. I'm on one end next to you. Jim's on the other side of the table across from me. And you, and it was the two of us, it was the three of us. If I remember right, it would have been Jack Price, the Steels, Apocalypse. And I want to say Victor Cross might have been there too. That sounds right, like the normal bunch. Yeah. It was right after uh, Andrew Steele made a really awkward uh, show about no onions on his hot dogs. And, uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> and uh, you, you looked around the table and you said, well, Todd wants to be a manager. And literally the second those words left your mouth, Jim said, I'll take him. He did. Without, without any hesitation. And Jim barely knew me at that time. But he saw something, I guess, you know, and he was like, I'll take him. Hell yeah. So, you know, I've always, that's been a thing with, that's what made me always have a soft spot for Jim. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jim never that. hesitated to work with anybody. Jim, Jim loved what we did and just loved having fun. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so, yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's safe to say that the kind of closure that you got on your wrestling career, like you're, you're, you're good with it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, good. Uh, <laughs> You're like, so what I didn't tell you was now we're having another match, you bastard. No. <laughs> Swear, bro, reboot. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We don't need Thank anybody. There it is. There it is. Get out of the goddamn internet. Close reboot. Just to have another match with Todd. No. Wouldn't that make uh, them piss? Um, <laughs> yeah, but, sorry. I mean, I'm in I'm in some of the best shape of my life, but I ain't looking to no. Good. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like honestly, it's kind of like um, you know, you have the show of the best show you've ever had. Why try another one? You're never gonna top it. See, I have a different mentality. Is it's uh, okay? We we killed it on this one. How am I going to build off of it and, and be bigger next time? Because yeah. when Shawn Michaels and Undertaker had their, their match, everybody was like, well, that's the best match wrestling ever saw. And then they're like, we're going to do it again. And all the fans like, wait, wait, what? No, no, no. And they went out there and did it even. It was awesome. All right. You can't rest on, on your laurels or else you'll True. never really be, be able to see how much yeah. greatness you can produce on what whatever level or realm we're talking about here. Like that that's what spawned all of this. This yeah. whole episode. Yeah. Was because you, you you took a loss in your mind for some reason in some way, shape, or form. And you were fixing the the way that I got it was you were fixing to let that derail you. And I am sorry I was not going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. And or at least not not without putting in my two cents. Be like, hey, maybe you should think about this or try that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, not that well, I'm a I'm... fucking expert on anything, but <laughs> I'm just going off what what I do, what I've done. Yeah, you know. Well, and, I, and um, I'm glad you did because that's what kind of spawned 
this whole episode was that conversation that we had for like an hour on the phone that that yep. spawn yep. where we are right now you know and i'm glad that i can sit here today and say i'm extremely happy where i am like i can look back on my mwo career for as as a start i can look back at that and i can hand pick you know four matches right now that i would say anybody that's never seen what i did watch these four matches and you'll see why i did it and i look back fondly on those four situations those being um myself <clears throat> and blackwell against skulls at ntc i think that was still one of my that was so fun <laughs> and so ridiculous you, you ain't lived until jim forget smashes your head into a table like 15 times in a row um <laughs> that was fun um but i look at that i look at WrestleRama, the uh was it nine man tag match that we all had together uh, that the one we, in, was that the one in bertron yeah 24 uh, five i'm so bad with these 22 22 thank you i mean we brawled all over that building before the match even started <laughs> you know and then i look at the last man standing ma- or not last the last man standing match with you and my match with Michael Reaver that I had um, at City Market, the one-on-one match I had. I but have a, uh, I still have a flyer card of WrestleRama 22, and I believe our match is highlighted on there. If I do, I'll throw it up awesome. uh, in post-production to, to go yeah, along with this. So yeah, those those are the four. You know, me and Michael Reaver, me and you. Us and Skulls and that multi-man Russell Rowan match. Those are the my four highlights of my physical professional wrestling career. And, well, I, and, I, and I'm happy to I'm happy to look at that and be like, here's my body of work. Here's what I did, uh, and now that 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 part is over, but I'm happy with what I left behind. You know what I mean? And the same with the with the music, you know. I went out there and did, you know, two albums with the with Building Birds. Ash and I made a wonderful album together. I made six or seven solo albums, um, and I'm happy to close the book on that chapter too, to be able to go look at all this cool shit I did as I get ready to do more cool shit over here. Right. You know what I mean. <laughs> Well, as we uh, put a bow on on this episode, let me say a couple of things here. First of all, thank you for for coming on. Um, My pleasure. You you continue to demonstrate um, a level of determination that is one of the most inspiring things I've ever watched. You know, regardless of what what realm we're talking about here like you and you you've laid it out here beautifully over the course of this show today you know you you embarked on something there was challenges you came up with a plan to kind of uh find your way around it 
come back to it later on down the line, still kicking ass and, you know, because it was something that you were passionate about and your story intersects between three different, very different realms of, of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Now, the, 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 the one consistent thing is, is your, your vision, your focus and your determination. And I think it's pretty cool that, I mean, you are somebody who had, I mean, you came out uh, with your back up against the wall. And every time that that happens, you find a way to fight your way out of it. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. You've been, you've been a great friend. You have always been there when I have needed you. Uh, If it was something MWO related, if it was something like, um, doing you know being the opening act for two stage shows you performed at my brother's memorial like any time that i have asked you for for something i can't really think of a of a time where you told me no and like i really appreciate that yeah uh real quick why don't you tell everybody uh where they can find your gimmicks your your merchandise your pictures Boxygimmicks.com. No. Um, so you can find my official website, ToddGilbertOfficial.com. Uh, that's where you can go to find, you know, to order prints that I've done, uh, to buy any of my music. To It's all, it's your one-stop Todd shop, so to speak. Um, and you can find me at a lot of conventions this year. I'm going to be um, in Detroit, Toledo, um, Midland. All, all over the place. There's more in, in the works. Um, it's funny. I always wanted to tour as a musician, you know, go on tour to different cities and states and stuff. That never really happened, but now I'm doing it as an artist. How ironic is that? But, I, uh, but yeah, you can find me at many comic cons. Uh, that, that schedule is always updated on the website, ToddGilbertOfficial.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, all that crap at uh, the Todd Gilbert. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms too. Very cool, and I I encourage if you haven't, I encourage everybody to go check that out. Check out his website. Check out his music, his his art. Real quick, Todd, if I had to uh, put you on the spot, you've done a few different uh, amazing pieces of art so far. What's what's been your your favorite? Ooh, that's fun. Um, I well, said real honestly, quick, pal. I know, I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite right now is probably I did one from the movie The Labyrinth. I don't know, you remember mm-hmm. that movie? Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite one right now, but I think it's going to be the one I'm finishing right now, which I'm doing a piece of The Undertaker. I'm anxiously and, anticipating the uh, what what that looks like, and it's literally all of his different looks that he had through his career. So that that one is coming out really cool, and I'm very excited about that one, especially when people like you see it because of what a huge Undertaker fan you are. Um, Look, I've got one wall over here, nothing but <laughs> Undertaker shit. See? One, See, one of which is a painting that you did for me. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'd say right now, probably out of the ones created in my labyrinth, this is probably 
probably my favorite. Okay. Check it out. Um, ToddKilbertOfficial.com. Be Todd Kilbert on so- social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that. <laughs> I don't worry anyway. about TikTok works, but I'm getting there, damn it. I want to be yeah. as cool as the kids are. You know, I'm trying. <laughs> I get it. I get it. He's Todd Gilbert. I'm Jason Klaus. We thank you so, so much for, for tuning in. Be awesome yeah. to yourselves and to each other. And we'll see you right back here next time on the Klaus to the Heart show on YouTube. And, as a, and of course, the Klaus to the Heart podcast, a flagship show of the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm.